Strap in. You're listening to The Walt Blackman Show, the show that brings you hardcore conservative straight talk. Welcome to the No PC Zone. Well, well, well. Hello, everybody. Good morning. It's February 20th, President's Day. We're going to be talking about the Constitution of the United States. I think it's fitting that we do that because uh, some of our founders were framers of the Constitution. We're going to be concentrating on James Madison today, ladies and gentlemen, and how he framed the Constitution to fit us today here on the Wall Blackman Show. So get ready and get set for the No PC Zone. Good morning, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. This is Walt Blackman. Let's go ahead and pay the bills real quickly. If you want to listen to some of my older podcasts, all you need to do is type in www.buzzsprout.com and you can go to my webpage, The Walt Blackman Show, and you can download a podcast from there or simply go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Index, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or podcast addict you can go to there and you can download some of my older podcasts if you're in need for a mediator all you need to do is type in www.wbmediationandconsultingsllc wb mediation consultant offers a wide range of mediation services to help you resolve your disputes quickly and affordably with their team of expert mediators you can achieve a resolution in a fraction of the time and cost of going to court all you need to do it's called toll-free 1-888-341-5871 or send them a friendly fax at 1-928-563-0032. All you need to do again, ladies and gentlemen, that's WB Mediation and Consulting, a family, divorce, and business mediation consulting firm. Give them a call if you're having those issues and they will hook you up. All right, everybody. Let's go ahead and get started. We are going to be talking about the Constitution today, ladies and gentlemen, because the Constitution, I got to tell you, I love the Constitution and I and and, you know, the Constitution is a document that really, really, really governs our country and governs what we do when we are talking about laws, any kind of law or any kind of any kind of issue that is going on. Now, I am not going to name any any issue, any detailed issue in this. I am just going to talk about the Constitution. I want you, whatever you uh, can think about that has happened in 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 the um, in the in the past, uh, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years, and it applies to the Constitution. Uh, you can apply this to this. We are simply talking about what the Constitution does and what are the negative effects of people, the majority uh, mob rule, try to change the Constitution to best fit their narrative. Now. It's important to, this is what I do. And this is the, this is nothing that anybody, you know, needs to do. This is what I do. You know, when I read the constitution, I also read the anti-federalist papers because I think it gives you a balance of what's really in the constitution and how it applies and the protections um, that the constitution's off, the constitution could offer and offers to its people, to its citizens. Now, 
You don't have to read the anti-federalist papers. I recommend that you do because it does give you a better perspective of the Constitution. Now, the preamble of the American Constitution begins with the phrase, we the people. We all know that. But could the people of America be counted on to do the right thing? Or could they be counted on to do the right thing most of the time? That is a question. That is the quagmire, if you will. Could people of the United States be trusted to do the right thing. Now, the principal architect of the Constitution, James Madison, who was one of our presidents, gave this question a great deal of thought. And he said, no, people could not be trusted to do the right thing or counted on to do the right thing according to the Constitution. Now, he said, quote, whenever there is an interest of power to do wrong, he said, wrong will generally be done. Now, we've seen a lot of that over the past years when people quote the Constitution, particularly the 10th Amendment, they quote the Constitution to try to change something in the country to fit their narrative. Now, for this new nation that Madison was part of creating, Madison wanted as much freedom as possible with little government as possible. Now, most conservatives believe that smaller government. But Madison had no illusions, ladies and gentlemen. Tyranny, he knew, comes in many forms, and it's not confined to dictatorships or monarchies. So in a democratic society, the threat of tyranny comes from the people themselves. And we know that. The founders called this tyranny a tyranny of the majority. The majority will, if it can, put its own interest above those of the minority, and generally those in the majority will not hesitate to deprive the minority of their rights and freedoms. All you got to do is, is read history and it's, it's, it's throughout history, but we are talking about the majority, the tyranny of the majority trying to change the constitution without following the laws, the proper laws to be able to do this. Now, this is why Madison, ladies and gentlemen, was so preoccupied with the problem of what he called factions. Now, the word he used of any kind of organization were really pressure groups. Now, Madison deemed both the minority and the majority factions of dangerous groups. Yet, of the two types of factions, he considered a majority faction to be more dangerous. Now, why would you ask that? Because a minority faction can be curbed by the power of the majority. But who will curb the majority? The Constitution of the United States does that. That is the purpose. And as he said, this is the central purpose of the Constitution. Now, to limit frustration and in some cases block the majority rule, as Madison put it, the great task was to devise a document that would first enable the government to control the governed. And in the next place, It obliged it to control itself. Now, how is this done? How do we do this? Well, Madison had a plan, ladies and gentlemen, and that plan, first, the Constitution had to be written down. And we see that form of language today. Now, we're so accustomed today to the national constitutions that we need to remember that prior to the American Constitution, no country, no country in the world had one. Nobody had a constitution except this new nation. And since the adoption of the U.S. Constitution, many countries have had constitutions that came and went. 
Some lasted a few years. Some lasted many years. Yet the American Constitution, ladies and gentlemen, has now endured for nearly two and a half centuries because of the way it was written. Now, the original document, the original document was written on four pieces of, I guess, you know, uh, different language and different, not different languages, but different forms of uh, verbiage of what they were going to use. And it's 4,543 words. That's how long it was. Now, its remarkable brevity perfectly matches its purpose to create a framework for limited government. Now, to Madison, this meant that the authority of the federal government should cover central listed or enumerated powers. Now, enumerated powers or anything outside those areas, the government has no authority. Now, during the 2020 election, a lot of people went to the 10th Amendment to decertify the 2020 election. Now, I am not saying whether or not it was wrong for them to do that or right for them to do that. I am simply stating from the Constitution. Let's take a look at that. Let's say that Arizona used its its 10th Amendment power to enumerate what they felt was wrong with the 2020 election. Now, let's make sure that we are not putting in Emotion in this. I want you to really think about this. The enumerated areas outside of those areas of the government has no authority. That means that if a state wanted to use the 10th Amendment, they could do that. However, would that alone decertify an election? Well, if every state did that, who knows? I don't know, but it's not in the Constitution. But if one state only does that and the other states don't do it, you are not going to see a change in the presidency. So that's why the 25th Amendment was put into the Constitution and impeachment clauses. And in that case, if a president is deemed to be unfit under the 25th Amendment, ladies and gentlemen, then they are released. Then and, then and only then, Will the vice president assume the duties of the presidency? And if the vice president can't do that, the next in line is the Speaker of the House. Now, let's look at the 2020. If Biden was removed, let's say, you know, Biden is almost 80 years old. If he was removed because of the 25th Amendment, who would take over? According to the United States Constitution, that we have had for nearly two and a half centuries, the vice president. Let's say the vice president, Kamala Harris, could not take over. Who would take over? And that time, two years ago, it would be the Speaker of the House, and that would have been Nancy Pelosi. According to the Constitution of the United States that we live under, even if Arizona used its enumerated powers, the 10th Amendment, to try to overturn an election, to try to decertify an election based on what I told you. Would Donald Trump be returned to the seat of power according to the Constitution? 
That's the question. I'm not saying whether or not it is right or is wrong. I am not saying that you can decertify or you can't decertify. I am simply asking the question based on James Madison's frame and thought and words of the 4,543 words in the Constitution, the brevity of it. Based on that, could Donald Trump be returned to the presidency if you could decertify and if that were in the Constitution? Now, again, don't jump off the the ledge and say, well, Blackman says he, you can't decertify and this and that and this like I got beat up for. Because I'm a constitutionalist, ladies and gentlemen. I follow the Constitution. And based on the Constitution, based on what I have told you, and I'll talk about the sources later on, it doesn't say it in the Constitution. Second, the rights of the citizens had to be clearly spelled out. Now, that's why the first 10 amendments of the Constitution, known as the Bill of Rights, contain a series of limited limitations on the government. And those limitations were the Bill of Rights typically began with Congress shall make no law. Congress shall make no laws restricting free speech, freedom of the press or free exercise of religion. Now, simply because the Constitution does not lay out that a person that a state can decertify an election, it doesn't stop a person from saying that. It also doesn't stop a person from saying, whoa, wait a minute. According to the Constitution that's written down, it doesn't lay out that you can do this. So each person has their freedom of speech to express what they see. Now, I was always one who said, yes, I believe that the elections were stolen in 2020. And also in 2022, there were some issues with the elections. I also said that because of the way the Constitution is written today, there is nowhere in the United States Constitution that spells out that you can decertify an election and bring back the prior president. There's nowhere, there's, there's no groundwork in the Constitution that lays that out, even if we use the Tenth Amendment. There's nowhere in the Constitution that says that, and I got beat up for actually stating the law. Now, I got beat up from the same people who said that they were constitutionalists. Now, let's say that you could do this. You could decertify based on just changing the Constitution to fit your narrative. Why wouldn't the Democrats have done this and the first Bush v. Gore with the issues down in Florida? Why wouldn't he have done it then? Why wouldn't the Democrats have done it, decertified the elections, and they were talking about election fraud in 2016, when President Trump was first ascended to the presidency, why didn't they do it then? If it could be done. Because I think they had a little bit more common sense. I think they, 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 there was some people, I don't know, that understood the Constitution, that understood that it could not be done. Because if it could be done, ladies and gentlemen, the Democrats would have done it when George Bush Jr., 
George Walker Bush would, when he ran for president and we had issues in Florida, it would have been done then and it wasn't. It would have been done in 2016 and it wouldn't and it wasn't. Two separate times, the Democrats could have decertified the elections if the Constitution said that you could do that or if there was a way. Third, the concept of representation, government, represent, representative government had to be clearly defined. Now, representative government means, ladies and gentlemen, as you all know, that a person or people do not rule directly. Now, we all know that. They rule by an elected representatives who govern their areas of interest. Governing their steed. Now, Madison counted this practice as radical, a radical departure from the direct democracy of the ancient Athenians. As, dis- as a distinguishing mark between democracy and a republic. You hear a lot of people say that we are a democracy. Well, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we are not a democracy. We are a republic. And it is because a large and extended society Madison argued, could function effectively only as a republic, not a democracy. And a republic is much better to guard against tyranny of the majority than a democracy, in which the definition of majority can do whatever it wants. Fourth, the power within the government must be divided. The Constitution separates the power between the elected legislator charged with making laws and the elected executive. That's the president of the United States charged with enforcing them and an appointed judiciary empowered with resolving legal disputes. Now, if you didn't get that last part about the courts, the Supreme Court does not make law. They are appointed judiciary empowered with resolving legal disputes, according to the United States Constitution. The only body that can make laws is elected legislators charged with doing so. Even the executive does not make laws, ladies and gentlemen, because what they are due, their charge is to enforce those laws. A further division happens between the national government and the national government and the states so that some powers are exercised at a national level and others at a state and local level. Fifth, mutual oversight, checks and balances was necessary to restrain restrain the power of individual branches. That's why we have three equal powers of government in our United States government. But because Madison understood how easy it was for a country to do to divulge into tyranny, he ensured that each of the three branches of government acted as a check and balances on the power of the other two. Again, I want you to think about the 2020 election and decertification checks and balances was necessary to restrain the power of individual branches. Now, because Madison understood how easy it was for a country to do this, it was necessary for him to do this. It was necessary to have three branches of government according to the Constitution. Congress also has the power to make laws. 
but the president can veto those laws. Now, we're talking about checks and balances. The president can veto those laws, as we all know. And vetoes can be overridden by only the Congress and supermajority. So let's talk about what's going on here in Arizona. We know that recently Katie Hobbs vetoed the budget. And then when I tell people that we don't have a supermajority in the House or the Senate because it's 2931 in the House and 1516 in the Senate, we don't have the votes to override a veto. We use the same governmental process in the in, in, in the state of Arizona as the federal government. Congress has the powers to make laws. Our Legislative bodies here in Arizona has the powers to make law. At the federal level, the government, the president can veto. At the state level, the governor can veto them. And vetoes can be overridden only, ladies and gentlemen, only by a congressional supermajority and in a state, only by a legislative supermajority, which we do not have. Now, getting back up to the federal level, the president has an executive branch to enforce the laws. But there is congressional and judicial oversight when the president does that. And it's important that we have that. The judiciary interprets the Constitution and the laws, but judges are nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Is there anywhere in there that says that the judiciary has the authority to make law? No, there is not. The judge, the judicial system does not make laws. The Constitution clearly lays that out by separation of powers. Now, this isn't a complete list, but it gives a clear picture of James Madison's ambitions to give America a political system that would promote freedom by making it very hard for human appetite to seize power over others that are in the minority. That's why I want you to think about, I want you to think about the 2020 election and the things that people were saying. Now, Martin Van Buren was the first president who deserves to be called a professional politician. We have people to say, oh, professional politician. If you look at his history, he's the first president to be called that. Now, many Americans and many of America's founding fathers hoped that the nation could be governed without political parties. By citizen statesmen who transcended their differences from the sake of public policy or the public good. That ideal proved hard to establish and even harder to maintain. However, as the country grew, as our country grew here in the United States, the economic and political interests of different groups began to emerge. And disagreements over various issues such as taxes are back in those days, the westward expansion, slavery, uh, which was widened so much that they could not be smoothed out over a simple appeals of partisanship or patriotism. So we had to come up with these different political groups with these different public policies. Now, the first American leader to fully embrace the political 
atmosphere it is. We were talking about the political rally was again, Martin Van Buren. He was one of the presidents. He was the eighth president of the United States and the first president who deserves to be called, as I said, a professional politician. Van Buren recognized that the political conflicts that were coming that were threatening the very fabric of our country and our constitution was unavoidable. The trick he said, and the trick he realized was to make sure you had an organization to protect your interest. Now, Van Buren helped forge the American first official political party. That was, as we know today, the Democrat party, which was originally founded as a party of small government, believe it or not. Now, Van Buren's, Crowning achievement in all this was the forging of the Democrat Party. Now, the newly formed Democrat Party was Van Buren's vehicle to promote and in promoting the political ideals of the founding fathers he most admired, Thomas Jefferson, for for example. But Van Buren shared those ideals with his political allies and presidential forerunner Andrew Jackson. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because you need to know the source behind, you know, when we are talking about the Constitution, you cannot just say you are a constitutionist, but you are not peeling back the onion on what a constitutional is or what the, how the Constitution laid out or how these parties came to be. Because you need to understand the whole gauntlet of this. Now, in Van Buren's day, the Democrat Party was the party of small government, as I said, the party that uh, also maintained uh, that uh, name now uh, has has flipped the priority on its head, if you will, because it's not about smaller government. It's about big government. It's about social welfare programs. It's about enabling American citizens to be relied on the government. Now, among Van Buren and the Democrat core political conviction was the belief in state and local concerns. Now, Van Buren also shared with sharp suspicion with Jackson, a national bank that centered uh, the Eastern elites. How could they do that? Through the Constitution, through the legislative branch, by making laws to be able to do this. Now, like Jefferson, Jackson, Van Buren, believed in limiting the power of the federal government. And we know that Van Buren politics were shaped by his faith in the capacity of the American people to govern themselves. And that is in the Constitution, as I said. Martin Van Buren, again, was the eighth president. Uh, He was born in 1887 in upstate New York, so he's an Easterner. And we know that uh, he did a lot to shape our country. But in uh, 1796, at the age of 13, he became an apprentice at a local attorney, and he learned the basic, the basic legal facts of the Constitution, which later on he went on to practice law. But he understood the Constitution, and when he was the president, he applied the principles of the Constitution while governing. Now, he is one of, why they call him one of the first professional politicians that he was, he had a remarkable 
ability, ladies and gentlemen, to organize his political allies into a unified front. That's where we thus come up with working across the aisle. Now, again, he was first elected to the presidency in 1812 when he was elected, correction, he was elected to the United States Senate in 1812 from the state of New York. And he had a lot of influence. And he had the ear of Andrew Jackson's. Now, the reason why, again, I go back to what we were talking about, Van Buren being the professional politician. Van Buren used the Constitution as it was written because he used it in, 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 in the topic of the opinion over slavery and the westward expansion that made it difficult, that made it difficult for people who interpret the, the Constitution into something different. And the paradox of all this, ladies and gentlemen, again, that Van Buren was an American first politician president before political organizations really, really came to be. Where he used presidential leadership to work across the aisle and get things done. However, he left an important legacy, ladies and gentlemen. He left the legacy of following the Constitution. Again, we cannot, we cannot interpret the Constitution to our ideologies simply because it works in our favor. That is not how the Constitution works. The Constitution was not formed that way. The Constitution was not written that way. The Constitution was not designed for mob rule to change the precepts of the Constitution to simply meet our needs. This is Walt Blackman. I hope you enjoyed that. The Constitution, James Madison, and a little bit about Martin Van Buren, our eighth president. This is Walt Blackman. Have a great, have a great President's Day. Have a great or wonderful week. And again, if you need a mediator, all you need to go is go to is WB Mediation and Consulting Firm, WB Mediation Consulting LLC offers a wide range of mediation services to help you resolve your disputes quickly and affordably. With their team of mediators, you can achieve a resolution in a fraction of the time and cost of going to court. All you need to do is call toll-free 1-888-341-5871 or send them a friendly fax at 8928-563-0032. That's WB Mediation and Consulting, LLC a family divorce and business mediation firm. This is Walt Blackman. See you on the flip side again on the Walt Blackman Show. Have a great day and uh, stay informed. Knowledge is power. Strap in. You're listening to The Walt Blackman Show, the show that brings you hardcore conservative straight talk. Welcome to the No PC Zone.